Welcome back to another episode of Rocky Unscripted, where we talk about faith when Sunday is over. So glad you've joined us. So glad you're listening. We are in part two of a nine-part Enneagram series. We have some very special guests with us that we're excited about. We're going to introduce them in just a minute. But first, I'm joined by Mitch Comstep. Good to yep. see you, Mitch. Here I am, <laughs> in the flesh and think, in your earbuds. I think every time we, I welcome you, it's always a little under, like you're. It's almost like you're depressed until you get going. It's oh, almost man. like your your welcome is like almost like an apology. Hey guys, sorry I'm here again. I'm here again. I wouldn't have chosen this, but Nick Nick asked me to be Woo. here. Yeah, Mitch comes up is you've been on staff for a long time yeah. here at our church in various roles. Um, and most recently, you've been able to bring this Enneagram knowledge as a certified Enneagram coach. But I don't know that we've ever taken a moment to say, wh- wh- like, who are you? Like, tell us about yeah. family. Tell us about uh, any hobbies you're into. We want to get to know Mitch a little bit. Sure. So I've been on staff at Rocky Mountain Christian Church for over 17 years now. I um, love hearing that. That's amazing. Yeah. it done a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, student ministry for five years. Then we had a neighborhood ministry stint for a while. So organized a lot of barbecues and neighborhoods and got neighborhood groups together. And as that kind of faded, um, took on more of the group's discipleship role. And then from there, uh, continuing to do that, but then also um, really leaning into more staff development and culture development and Mm -hmm. Love, love getting to do all, all of those kinds of things. Uh, I've been married for over 20 years, and uh, we have three girls um, in their, you know, 15, 9, and 7. Nailed it. Uh, nailed it. <laughs> uh, if, if you ask me their birthdays right now, it, it might be a little bit of a struggle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so they're doing great. I don't know what else you want to know. Oh, no. hobbies. Let me, let me. Hobbies. I don't know. You, if you are guys very like passionate these. about your hobbies. I'm very passionate about my hobbies. Uh, really, just one. Um, I love board games, and this summer I get to go to like the board game convention that if you <laughs> love board games, you have to go to. It's in Indianapolis uh-huh. called Gen Con, and there are going to be sixty thousand people there. Um, and there's tons of vendors and you, they release a bunch of new games. And so going out with the road trip and out with a few guys, uh, because if you buy games, I don't want to have to ship them back. So, anyway, Oh, there you love, go. Love, okay. Love designer. You board know, it's funny. I, when we were trying to work through our calendar and schedule these recordings, I saw that on your calendar uh-huh. and I haven't talked to you about it yet. So I'm glad you explained it. I have so many more questions. Yeah. Um, but maybe not, maybe not for this episode. Yeah, we'll, I, we'll do a we'll do a board game series podcast. That'd be a stretch for me. Notoriously, I don't like board games. Well, I'm sad for but you. But you've introduced a few of those on some retreats, and I'm like, okay, that was fun. Yeah, that was fun. I never, if you ever ask me, do you want to play this game? The answer will always be no. Mm. But then once I play it, I'm like, okay, that was fun. You're right. You're right. All right, sorry. We're, we're <laughs> we'll move on. Mackenzie, I'd love to know a little bit more about you. Uh, tell us about family or work or hobbies. We'll start there. Yep. My only hobby is drinking coffee in coffee shops. So you should just know that I'm not a hobby person. Then I have a hobby. There you go. If that's a ho- I, I mean, got I think you get to decide. You okay. Know, hobbies, yeah. I don't think there's a set list. Um, I like that. I am married to Alex Heald, and we've been married for almost 11 years. And we've got two little ones. Um, Hudson just turned five on Thursday last week. Wow. And Harper's two and a half. Not just two. She has to... No, she's two and a half. Has oh, she yeah. been two and a half for a long time yeah. in her mind? <laughs> yeah. yeah. She's like, I am two and a half. Yes. Um, I work for Young Life. So I'm an, uh, the area director for Young Life in Lafayette and Erie. So I get to tell middle school, high school kids about Jesus and um, love them where they're at. And um, I also coach the JV dance team at Erie High. Mm-hmm. So that's what keeps me busy. That's cool. Uh, we, yeah. we had uh, some of your leaders, I don't know how many of them, what percentage mm-hmm. over at our house just to... Yeah have dinner and get to know them. And you guys had a meeting. You have a lot of responsibility seeing that many leaders in Mm -hmm. one place. And then knowing how many students that they're connected with, Mm -hmm. it's a big job. It's a big job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it takes, um, a lot of surrender and trust to, to walk with that many people and hold it, but we've got a great team. So yeah, we love it. It's awesome. Right on. Thanks for hosting us. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll do it again. Skills on the Traeger. So yes. 
I do, Whoa. Mitch. Whoa. I don't is know that, if you've is had that a, one of your hobbies? Yeah, that might be your Oh, hobby. it abs- absolutely is. Okay. Okay, now what kind of um, trigger is it? Is the I, big okay. question. I just upgraded. Okay. Just upgraded. This is, this is big news. Um, I, man, I, I'm trying to edit the story in my head because I could go on and on and on. I've already shared this in multiple meetings that Mitch has been in. I just got, um, I, it was used. I bought a used one mm-hmm. from um, a guy on Facebook Marketplace. Normally, this is sketchy, right? Yeah, it's kind of. Turns out it's Dane, who's on staff, who's actually running all the cameras behind the glass right now. It was his next door neighbor. Oh, I didn't okay. know it until I showed up. I was like, what's your address? Dane came out with his little baby Tyler. Like, what's up? <laughs> this guy refurbishes them. Oh, so I wow. bought it. So it's like this, it's this like, it was like a Costco model that they only sold at Costco and it's, it's really big and it connects to my phone now. And I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm very, very happy. I, wow. s- I stared at it for two or three hours this weekend, just looking at my phone and looking at, I would change something and then look at change. <laughs> you're on a, you're admiring it? it. I was. You're I was. Admiring so it, I'm yeah. sitting there saying like, oh, it's so dorky <laughs> that you're going to this conference for board games. I'm staring at my smoker. Just like, did you see the number change? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> well, you know, my husband's the same way. He's okay. got a trigger and I'll get, I want to get some more information because he wants to, right on. Know, he wants to get bigger, but he's got, I've the got one. a guy. You've got a guy. I've got a guy. See? And then for us, it's like, he looks, he named the, the yeah. smoker. I did like too. Big Papa. It's like that is mine is smoking the bandit. Oh, that's good. And every yeah. time it pops up, I I'm like that's so cool. I'm sorry. I feel like my face is getting red. I'm a little embarrassed about it. That's amazing. But Denise, tell us about yourself. I'm Denise Hudson, and I am married to a wonderful man named Keith. Uh, we've been together six years, married five years. We have a blended family. We've got four kids between the ages of 25 and 21. So we've got my son Jordan, 25. His two girls are Cassidy, Kaylee. They're 24, 22. Two and then Tyler's twenty one, so four years you got Impressive. four kids. Yeah, Impressive. yeah, and they are all out of the house. Uh-huh. So we are kind of uh, we're kind of you know empty nesters. But then we have two dogs, so it's, of course that <laughs> that doesn't really count. So, mm-hmm. um, but I am an uh, EVP of special projects for a really really cool startup company, and so I do everything from. Um, investor relations, help raise money, uh, work with our customers, and of course, work with our um, employees as well. So that is, that's about all I've And you've been there for a while, you were saying? Seven years. Okay. Yeah, seven yeah. years. Yeah. And in our free time, we, we love to camp, hike, and then of course, hit the gym every morning. So gotcha. That's life. I wish I could say I do that, <laughs> but I can't unless I, I saw you walking today. You saw me walking? Yeah. Well, I like peeked over your, he lives, we live a couple doors down from each uh, other. Mm-hmm. And I was like peeking over the fence to see if you're in the backyard. <laughs> yeah. Did you, you didn't see me? I didn't see you. <laughs> Creepy. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> so uh, if anyone is, is watching or listening to this episode and you haven't seen any others, we are talking about Enneagram subtypes. So that might be, conv- I mean, already studying the Enneagram learning about the Enneagram and all, there's nine numbers and there's all these wings and now you're talking subtypes. You started talking to me last week about some things that I'm like, okay, that's, that's another level beyond subtypes. Really, really cool. But the Enneagram can be, you can go really deep with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's not like you study it for a year or two and like, I've got it. I've cracked the code. So why you didn't know I was going to ask you this question, but why do you think it's important for people to take this next step and in, in just mm-hmm. leaning into subtypes? Yeah, I'm. So, I think it's incredibly important because you can see um, if you have a lot of you know today we're talking with some Enneagram twos, but if you see several different Enneagram twos, you can also see wow, there's a lot of subtle differences or maybe even big differences between uh, even within the spectrum of Enneagram twos Mm -hmm. or nines or sixes or whatever number. And a big differentiator is not wings, is not arrows it's actually subtype because it this is more of the instinct instinct of how we're trying to survive in the world married to our uh our number and then when those two things mix it it helps us differentiate and clarify more about who we are than air than arrows or wings or any of that and so there's there's that component and then there's also the if you want more, even more clearly individualized growth path or strategy, this can also help clarify that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in knowing how you differentiate between, depending on what your instinct is. Yeah. So I'd love for you to give us a just a snapshot of Enneagram Type Two. Um, but before you do that, if if people still feel a little lost with the the subtype thing, they can listen to our very first intro episode where it talks about the subtypes. 
you gave a cool analogy and you said it's like Coke, but you can have Coke with uh, cherry. You can have Coke with lime. You can have Coke with vanilla. Mm-hmm. It's still Coke, but it's like a totally different drink. And let's just take a quick poll. What What is a better <laughs> flavor combo, cherry Coke or lime Coke? Cherry Coke. Cherry Coke. Uh, how, dare, how, how dare you? How dare you? Um, I always do the lime. If that's I know you the, do. If and you're very passionate the, about it. Yeah. If that is the thing, <laughs> if there, if that is an option, that is obviously the correct option. So, Okay. So why don't you tell us about type twos now that we know that you're wrong about the flavor of Coke. Can you tell us something how, how that you're you right about? How can you trust me about anything else? Uh, well, yeah, let's get, we'll, we'll jump into to type twos and, and please, I mean, feel free if you guys have any questions, I mean, jump out and, and throw them out. But, um, so Enneagram type twos and would love to actually get your feedback on this too and how you, how you see that and anything you would add. Um, so the motivation of a type two is really to be liked and appreciated and to ultimately be, be loved and they try to get love by loving other people. That's a, a core, the core motivation. And then they really focus on the needs of other people more than they focus on their own needs and providing help and support in a dependable way based on what they believe that other people need. I want to serve you. And I actually almost, you almost intuitively know and believe I know what you need. And so I can jump in and help you meet that need. Um, and then the worldview, the way you show up and the way you, your lens as you're viewing the world is believing that people depend on me for help and I don't want to let anybody down. And I have worth because, uh, because I'm, I'm liked and I'm needed and that the only, I only deserve to be loved because I am loving. Mm. I deserve this love because I love other people. Um, and I want, I want others to know that I am always there to help them. W- would you guys add anything? Would you guys be like, yeah, that, that pretty much sums it up in, you know, it, a couple sentences or uh, what, what w- else would you add? <laughs> no one wants to go first. <laughs> Um, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head for me. Definitely. Um, I think the only thing I would love to add is just the, um, the compassion. Um, Mm -hmm. there's a compassion component there that it's, Mm -hmm. it's rooted deeply within our bodies and our Mm -hmm. minds and our hearts. And so that's something that's really, really interesting because we can use that compassion for good. Or if we become uh, unhealthy, we use that for, we actually use it for something that is not going to be very healthy for ourselves and it ends up not being healthy for anyone else. So mm-hmm. I think there's mm-hmm. that compassion, uh, characteristic that sits in there the whole time. Yeah. That's and good. I'm curious. Really, sorry to yeah. interrupt. I'm, I'm curious how, what does that compassion look like when it becomes unhealthy? Uh, you care about too much about everybody else and wanting to help everybody else. Gotcha. You don't take care of yourself at all. Okay. And it's, and then it's, you know, I know how to take care of that person. And it's just like this whole zone in on everything else and not really taking the time to ask, is that something I really should be doing? You know, right. what, where should I be actually in this, in this uh, situation? Mm-hmm. Got so, it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got yeah. It. I, I read, I read something recently about Enneagram twos. And I would want to know if this is your part of your story is you, you have this intuition and this compassion mm-hmm. that compels you to, to help others. But then there's almost deep down, you've almost feel this lack of freedom because you're like, mm-hmm. I just, I, it's almost like I have to help them. And so I'm not free from unhelping them to yes. get this thing back. It, does that, I don't know if that, does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I, I relate to that. I think it feels so deeply rooted in who I am to help that if I, if I see someone who needs help and I think I intuitively know a way that I could be helpful in the situation or a way I could love them or that empathy piece, not moving in that direction is really difficult. And so I think, to echo what you're saying, like the, the health piece, piece of that is being able to, to step back and go, is that my place? Am mm-hmm. I crossing a line? Mm-hmm. Does this person want my help? Mm-hmm. Um, or am I inserting myself into a situation that isn't helpful to them or to me? Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, it is an active thought process because my general instinct and just like a snap of a finger, if I see a need, I feel like I have to go meet it. Well, that sounds incredibly healthy though. 
that you're processing, like that instinct is I need to go help this person. Mm -hmm. But then asking yourself those questions, like, do they want my help? Mm -hmm. Is this, is this crossing a line? That's, that sounds to me like a very healthy way to process. I'm sure you've that, picked that up over yes, the years. Yes, that was not always true. Yeah, <laughs> still yeah not exactly. Always true. No, I yeah. feel the same way. Yeah, I have mm-hmm. moments where it's, it's, I just keep going. And um, just a couple of years ago, I was working full time, serving at the church every other Sunday. I was coaching the Frederick High School swim team. And I just kept going and going and going, trying to give everything. And it became really unhealthy. Um, mm. And it was my husband who actually finally was like, you've got to, you got to stop. You have to take something away because you're just, you're going overboard. And you're not taking care of yourself. So it does sound exhausting. Yeah, it's exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting. Yeah. So I, I've heard also that, you know, twos have a hard time saying no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because they, it's, it's almost this, like, if, if I say no, then I'm, I'm potentially not going to receive that love and the admiration and the appreciation that mm-hmm. I, I, I crave. But it's, I mean, that's so on the so behind the scenes but this like I, no i've got to do this mm-hmm. i've got i've got to help so i can't say no and not to upset them you don't want to upset anybody that's a that. huge one so i mean and mm. i was i've been taught by somebody right over there named mitch that <laughs> you have to say if you say yes to something you're saying no to something else mm-hmm. so what's more important so but for a long time yeah it was yes to everything there was a mug i had at a, an office that said um uh note to self say no to something and mm-hmm. i laughed at it and i don't know where that mug is now so i need to <laughs> see if i can find that one <laughs> yeah i would agree i think saying no is really difficult and and the core fear for me and i think this is maybe true of a lot of twos is i don't want to hurt someone mm-hmm. hurting someone threatens something really deep inside of me mm-hmm. um and i had a, i for a long time really struggled to connect with the like I just want to feel wanted. I just want to feel liked. Like, I just mm-hmm. like, I don't know if that really nailed mm-hmm. it for me. Um, but I think through the process of a lot of counseling and stuff, like it really comes down to belonging. Like it's not even just so much like, I want you to like me. Like I really desire belonging. And if I hurt you, mm-hmm. that threatens that, that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's kind of my version. I don't really know if it's a subtype thing or not, but my, my version yeah. of that is I want to feel like I belong, that we're connected, that, um, like this family thing feels really important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I hurt you by not helping you, that piece gets threatened. Mm-hmm. I agree. So there is actually one of the subtypes that, that it is almost more belonging mm. and they, they can confuse this, um, like this desire to belong versus love and how it all works together. Anyway, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Me. Yeah. Mm. So let, let's, let's dive into that. Cause I, I, there's so many questions I want to ask you guys, but I'm trying to, pump the brakes and because we do want to get into subtypes. So that's, that's kind of an overview uh, as we're talking. Um, we might even kind of pick it. There's a few things you guys are saying. It's like, okay, I behave the same way, but for a totally different reason. Mm-hmm. And cause I'm, I'm not a two. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into that, but do you want to kind of start walking through the subtypes yeah. and see where the conversation goes? Yeah. So the, uh, the subtypes, just again, a quick recap. Um, there are three different subtypes. One is self-preservation and that's more, you're more aware of the environment. You're more aware of, um, how, how you are showing up in that environment. And it's more of, you're more focused on your own needs, um, where, and then there's the social instinct, which is more concerned about the group and where you stack in priority order and um, belonging and connection. And and then you have um, the one-to-one. And this is more of this intense personal connection with other people and very deep and intense, more relational connection. Um, so that's kind of a quick overview of the, the three different ones. And so each one of the two subtypes uh, goes through and um, tries to find appreciation and in, in love in a different way. And so the self-preservation too, which is also the counter type, we've been using that yeah, language yeah. over the last couple episodes. One of these three subtypes in every number is also referred to as the counter type. So they can actually, they're actually almost going against what their normal, uh, what you would normally look at and see as in Enneagram two. And so they look very different or can look very different from other twos. Um, they're not typically the, what I 
like to call the meme version of the of the two. So the self-preservation two is that counter type and they try to find that love and appreciation by being more innocent and playful and charming and just incredibly irresistible to other people so that they can get their needs met so that they can feel liked and accepted by other people. Um, they're more aware of their own needs and their own wants and their own desires than the other two versions of uh, of Enneagram twos. And so, whereas most twos don't know, like they're so concerned about other people's needs and they're more so outward focused. Whereas um, the self-preservation two, they actually recognize their needs more um, and try to get other people to meet those needs um, for them. But they're more aware of that. And they're not as overtly self-sacrificing um, as the other two Enneagram two subtypes. Um, they also really do fear rejection and don't really want to open themselves up to vulnerability and are afraid of people saying no to them. And so they actually are much more indirect in their requests mm -hmm. of other people. Whereas the other two Enneagram two subtypes are much more direct, um, with their communication and self-president they'll, they'll hold back a little bit because they're afraid of the no or not being wanted or not being liked. Mm. And so they, they may hold back a little bit from that. Um, they, they really do have a desire to be esteemed for how they help and support others. But really, it's because they want other people to pursue them. They want this pursuit of, because then it's like, I don't have to take care of myself. Other people are going to meet my needs. Uh, and again, the, the self-preservation instinct married with the two is like, I serve other people so that I can get my needs met. It's really like, but it's very, it's more covert than overt um, than the other Enneagram twos. There's also this sense that, uh, and this feeling that there will not be enough for me in, in situations, especially in um, crisis situations or um, things feel out of control. It's like, I need to make sure I go in and get this thing and grab it first because there might not be enough of enough love or enough. I mean, it could even be food or money or whatever it is. And I, I have to make sure I'm getting that um, and, and take it for myself. Uh, and then without realizing it, they can also create a context in which people care for them. And that can result in situations where they are unconsciously depending on other people. And even though they're highly competent, they may not want to take responsibility um, for their own actions or for themselves. And so uh, they try to get, there's this underlying of, I'm trying to get other people to meet my needs for me. And also without me having to ask them mm. to do that. So that's the self-preservation subtype. And so they're, um, and then moving on to the social, the social subtype, they try to earn um, appreciation and love through acts of service to the broader community uh, by being undemanding. And they appeal to groups and environments with their ambitious nature and caring leadership style. They really pride themselves on being competent and able to accomplish projects and enjoy the admiration of others. Um, and they really do work best when those talents are recognized and then uplifted by other people. Uh, the, this is like the Enneagram 2 that if there's going to be one in the spotlight or doesn't mind the stage, um, this is the, it's the social 2. Mm. They're very strong um, leaders. They are often mistyped as threes or eights um, because they're so ambitious. In fact, the name given to this Enneagram subtype is ambition. They, they are all out, all in, and they really do seek honor uh, and prestigious positions, and they want to be noticed by prestigious people so they can gain benefits and notoriety and that's, uh, uh, from those positions and from those people. And they can, also, oh, yeah. Can they, I interrupt? Just, sure. And I want you to keep going, but this is what, I think this is why subtypes are so important because I don't know a ton about type twos, mm -hmm. but I know a name given to them as a whole is helper, right? Mm -hmm. And you, so you start to categorize, okay, people that are twos are going to be like, anything I can do for you? Do you need anything? And I'm sure there are a bunch of twos that are like that, but you just described a two that would be confused as a three, mm -hmm. which is right, yep. that achiever, right? 
Yep. Um, and you'd be like, wait, wait, okay, so that that can't, that's incompatible. This is why it's so important because so many, so often people are like, I just can't be reduced down to one of nine types. Right. And th- th- I think this is why we need to study it because yeah. it's like, no, a person can be genuinely a two and they can also be genuinely ambitious mm-hmm. and it's not a conflict. Yep. And, and I think it's also important to keep in mind that we all innately have all nine numbers inside of us and, but we only have one core type um, that we operate from. And so, and again, the, when you mix it with the instinct, it, it elevates some of those other numbers mm-hmm. inside of us to try to get our underlying core motivation and needs met. And so like, even when we're talking about a self pres preservation, uh, two, they actually can look more four ish. Interesting. Because they are more shy, um, and quiet. And they really do desire to be viewed as like, man, I'm unique and I am special for me, like love me for that. Um, whereas the social looks much more like a three or, or could, can be more, look more like a three or an eight, uh, mm-hmm. because they, they do have so much ambition. They do want to, they do see where they measure up in social circles and want to receive that notoriety and want to be more in the spotlight and serving others so that they can be, um, appreciated and loved for what they're bringing in that more leadership into the community and mm-hmm. that role. This is so funny. It's like this happened last week with type ones. You say there's a little bit of us and, you know, or a little bit of every number. Like you start describing like, maybe I'm a two. <laughs> like last week I'm like, maybe I'm a one. I know I'm not, but I can relate to a lot of things you're saying. But I interrupted you. I think you still had more to say. Yeah, no, I want to yeah, talk, talk a little bit more about the, the social twos. Um, if... If they are unable to live out their personal ambition for the, the, the drive and the direction that they want to go, they will actually try to live that out through other people that they really respect in their life. That could be a spouse, that could be their kids, it could be another colleague, and they're going to do everything they can to see that, that person succeed and to climb the ranks um, in whatever circle that they are in. Uh, but they can also then be, you know, confuse um, being noticed with being loved. They thought they can think, man, I, I'm being noticed by all these people and, mm. and, and for all the good that I'm doing, but then confuse that with like, oh, but is that really, is that really love for me? Um, and this is really driven by a fear of being insignificant. I don't want to be insignificant. I need to be something. I need to be more prestigious. I need to be valued. I need to be seen as ambitious and as a go-getter because that's what people are going to like. And that's what people are going to love me for. Um, so anyway, that's the, the social two, and then going into the one-to-one, uh, subtype, and they really want to try to earn appreciation and love by shaping themselves to meet a specific person's need. It's more intensified serving of one person and they will, uh, the, typical words that they use with this Enneagram subtype is to seduce this person by being attractive and alluring. And they hope this person will meet their needs. Um, and this isn't always like a sex appeal kind of a thing, but it can be, mm-hmm. um, the one-to-one to really wants to attract somebody and, and bring them in so that they can serve them so that they can get their needs met without having to ask this person to meet their needs. Mm. Um, they are very trusted. They're kind. They're self-assured uh, in their role as a partner or a friend. Um, they can also appear eight-ish in how they are, their intensity of how they approach other people in serving others. Um, all, all twos have a tendency that a word that is thrown around that I don't necessarily like, um, but is like manipulating um, mm-hmm. other people. And it's, it's much more or they view twos view it more as I'm orchestrating. I'm helping all these people come together and do, do these things and work this out in the best way. But it can sometimes feel like being manipulated to other people when it's unwanted. You were talking yeah. a little bit earlier about it being mm-hmm. unwanted and it can feel more like manipulation than orchestration. Mm-hmm. 
um, the, the more it goes on. But uh, the the one-to-one subtype definitely has that. They can feel more dominant and invasive in how they are approaching somebody else and, and how they're serving. And um, they are. this is the, the type two that is least connected to their own needs. They don't really know what they want. And they're hoping that by serving and investing in somebody else and becoming what the other person, what they think the other person really wants, that that person's going to automatically know what their needs are and reciprocate that back to them. Um, But they are also masters at like weaving people together from different backgrounds and to help, you know, people come to conflict resolution because they can draw people in really well. All Enneagram type twos are very good relational connectors and master networkers. And, and that is very true also of the, the one-to-one. In fact, they can act, um, they're often act as the, the hub, uh, in their family and close friendship circles by becoming very indispensable to them and really shouldering a lot of responsibility of the relational connection, mm-hmm. um, in their family circles. So, so I would love to know just, I mean, that was a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of information. Yeah. That was a lot. Yeah. And when we invite you guys on the show where we didn't say you have to know your subtype, like we actually prefer if it's like, you're not quite sure or whatever, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. But I'm curious, was there one of those that Mitch said that you said, I am most drawn to this one or this one? I'm definitely most drawn to the one-to-one. Yeah. Um, having conversations. It's, I would much rather have a conversation with one person and really l- learn about them. What are their needs and just really dive in and be able to help that person. Um, social, I can see myself every once in a while, but one-to-one is it's huge. It's, mm. I mean, what you were saying, it's just like, I, I have really good connections and especially with my work people, it's like the people who I start talking with me, it's like, I get to know, you know, their kids and I, it's just like, I want to know how I can possibly help them and, and be there for them and serve them. So that is, that's definitely a, a deep one for me. In that regard, it probably really helps you with your job. That yes. helps you do a yeah. good job. Yeah. Yeah. Doing HR and payroll and, mm-hmm. um, you know, trying to get to know your customers and your investors and everything. You want to have that connection. And so, but knowing when enough is enough is mm-hmm. a big thing. Yeah. yeah. McKinsey, I was thinking too, I mean, you're talking to HR. It's like, okay, that seems like a perfect fit for two. Mm. And then knowing what I know of your role in young life and being the hub, being this relational connector, not just with students, but with all the leaders and all the staff. It's like, man, I think you're in the right job is what it sounds like. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, um, but I'm, I'm curious from you too. What, is there one or, or two of those that stuck out? Yeah, it's interesting. I think I can relate to pieces of all of them. I think mm-hmm. I'm trying to tease out is is one more core to who I am or is one more core to my role in my job that I become more that way. Yeah. Um, I think I can relate to the social too in some ways just because I am upfront in a leadership role and on, like on stage, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, pretty often like teaching or leading or casting vision. And I feel pretty comfortable in that space um, and love to care for groups of people. Like I, I do love that piece, but I also can relate <clears throat> to some of the one-to-one mm-hmm. Um, like particularly thinking about like certain leaders or students that, um, I have really deep connections with that feel like, okay, here's where I'm really going to dive in and focus my time, um, and care for them one-to-one like that too. So Mm -hmm. I think both of those, I I would have to tease out a little bit Mm -hmm. better. I have a question where I land. So uh, I've actually seen you on stage and you did seem, it's like, you seem very comfortable with the mic. I'd be curious. So if a one-to-one or self prez were in a role where they needed to be on stage, would it be really uncomfortable or would they feel like they're faking it? Like, I don't like doing this at all, but I have to. And a social would actually feel more comfortable. Yes. The social would feel very, I mean, almost drawn to the stage. And in terms of like, this is how I contribute best and how I appreciate. And I, it's that, that again, that potential confusion of, I'm being noticed for being liked and this actually helps me gain that notoriety and gain the benefits of what I'm looking for, um, by being on stage. And so it is a much more comfortable for a social, whereas the, I think the self-preservation would not want that the most because they're, again, it's that more shy, more the behind the scenes, the more, Hey, I'm happy to help. Um, but I'm just going to help just uh, these mm-hmm. people around me. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the, like 
the one-to-one could go back and forth. And again, in, in the previous episodes, I think we've talked a little bit about instinctual stacking. What I mean by that is you might primarily utilize the social instinct, but then your next one that you might swing into or use from time to time is one of those other two. And then there's probably one that is incredibly underdeveloped or not used at all. Um, and that one is your more repressed one. So depending on how that stacks up, you may be more or less inclined for, to the stage. And then how does that, because this is where it gets deep, mm-hmm. I think. And subtypes, I'm, you know, I, I'm still reading and learning and having lots of conversations with you. For a listener right now, how important is it to identify that repressed one? Um, I, I think sometimes it's easy to see it almost more than maybe the one that you're use the most because Interesting. You, because you can, you can be like, Oh, I don't relate with that at all. Um, and again, there's so much more information out there that we could, you know, we could cover, but we, you know, for time, <laughs> time's sake. Um, uh, but I think, you know, when you, when you can identify that one, well, you're probably utilizing those other two, mm-hmm. um, and they might just go back and forth a little bit, but you, there's still p- one primary instinct that you are utilizing the majority of the time. Yeah. And again, it's a survival instinct that we're trying to use to get our needs met. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you guys, uh, we've been chatting a lot. Are there any questions you guys have specifically with either subtypes? Because you, you're very comfortable as type twos, right? Like mm-hmm. that's, okay. Any questions revolving the subtypes? I think my question is about just if um, if you're a healthy two and you you were able to, are you able to see each of those subtypes a little bit more than if you're unhealthy and you just don't have that, you don't have that vision? I the mean, awareness that, of yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think... If, if you say, hey, you know, on along our self-aware journey, you are going to continue to grow and become more aware. Mm-hmm. And so if if you know about the subtypes, I think you begin to see it more clearly as long as you have a healthy view of yourself and a realistic view mm-hmm. of of yourself. And that's sometimes the hardest part. And in Enneagram world, you cu- you really talk about it as helping people wake up mm-hmm. to who they are. Because we are walking around as zombies most of the time with all of these behaviors that we've become accustomed to that we're just utilizing to get by. And it's recognizing, oh, these behaviors aren't helpful for me anymore. And how do I change those? And why do I do those things? Well, why do you do those things? It goes back to your core type. And then even deeper than that, it's what is your subtype? How is your subtype influencing your core type behavior? Mm-hmm. So speaking of growth, what kind of questions, what kinds of questions do you have for them as far as what growth looks like? Because you guys, uh, I'm not sure if we we said it when you we were recording or if it was before we were all chatting, but you both have been doing work, um, counseling and an Enneagram. Mm-hmm. So you're maybe a little further ahead than a lot of us when it comes to studying the Enneagram. Uh, but what questions do you have as far as getting to those, those greater areas of growth? Well, I mean... I think it'd be interesting just to hear from your guys' perspective. What is what are some practices or things that you've implemented into your life that has helped you wake up and become healthier versions uh, of type twos? And maybe even I recognize this blind spot, and here's what I've been here's what I've been doing to try to overcome that or to become more aware of it when it rears its head. <laughs> um, I've been really establishing boundaries for myself um, and understanding when I can say no and when I can say yes. Um, and that even means that after work at a certain time, I don't answer emails or anything anymore because I don't want to go ahead and try and please those people. It's my time. You know, I need to spend time with my family. So having those boundaries, not even giving me a chance to say yes has actually helped a lot. Um, and the other one is just saying, you know, i Try and not answer right away. If someone says, can you do something, Mm. don't answer right away and really start to focus on why would I do this? Am I doing this to get something for myself or am I doing this to actually help? What's what's my actual goal? What's the end goal? What do I really want to do? So for me, really taking that time before I say yes and still wanting to help, but making sure I know that it's it's okay to say no. And, you know, what am I giving up if I say yes? Mm -hmm. 
And really, so it sounds like, I mean, really wanting to give your best yes mm-hmm. to the situation yeah. rather than saying yes to everything and then regretting it. Correct. Correct. Over time. Yeah. 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 And that's tough. That's really <laughs> tough, especially when it comes to family and trying to figure that out too. Like time and money and mm-hmm. resources and everything. It's like, okay, what's our best, what's the best way to say yes? And what's our best way to say no? Mm-hmm. So practically you are, it, it hits that certain time of day when mm-hmm. it's like, I'm not responding anymore yeah that's yeah. gotta be difficult it's really tough because you have sp- phones and yes. email and everything i shut my email off and i i on my microsoft teams i shut that down it's like i don't want to see this yeah. until i open up and it's time to go to work that's awesome good job thank I you i mean that's thank that's you. huge yeah thank so you. i okay i have, an, I have a spinoff and this is maybe even a little bit deeper but i would imagine because i know myself too mm-hmm in times where maybe i'm not doing so well maybe i'm not so healthy i could if 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 i was you I could see myself going, um, I'm struggling right now with maybe a sense of being loved and appreciated and all that stuff. So I'm actually going to open up that phone mm-hmm. <laughs> and go searching for someone I can help. I yes. would imagine that that oh, could be. Oh yeah, definitely. That happens quite often mm. still. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, and I try not to do the work thing, but I do. It's like, I'll reach out to a friend. I say, oh, I should reach out to that person. Yeah. And Anything I, I can help with. Exactly. Uh-huh. How are you? What's life like right now? Do you, you know, what, it, what are you up to? What can we do for you? I mean, mm-hmm. just like, that's the whole thing that uh, it jumps at me. So yeah. it's. Um, so I have, I have a journal and it's like, I, intentionality is huge. It's like, if I get reach out to, you know, my friend Josie, it's like, okay, if I reach out to her, why am I reaching out? You know, I just want to reach out to see how she's doing and truly want to just see how she's doing. And so it's like knowing that those intentionality, um, texts are really important. Mm-hmm. But if I want something more, it's like, nope, not going to text somebody. Mm. So, Yeah. Okay, at risk of stepping out of Enneagram type two, I just I think it may be helpful for a conversation a listener who is maybe a little confused on their type or something like that. So mm-hmm. I could see myself doing that. I'm mm-hmm. gonna reach out and see if I can help someone. But for me, the motivation would won't be because I want to be loved, I want to be mm-hmm. appreciated. My my motivation at the core, because I'm a type six, we're gonna get into that, would be I think Mackenzie and I got sideways mm-hmm. on something. And I'm going to reach out to see, oh, whatever. I'm going to text her and say, young life, um, so impressive. You're doing a great job. I'm really just trying to like ingratiate myself. Mm. So maybe you'll go, oh man, thanks so much for saying that. I'm like, okay, we're good. It's this sense mm. of, I'm, I'm chasing a sense of security right. that right. I don't have an enemy out there. Because you have that scenario. You have a hundred million scenarios yes. going on in your head. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But it's a different motivation. It might be a similar right. behavior. Yeah. But the end goal is different. Right. And uh, I don't know. I just wanted to point that out. Maybe no, I just wanted to talk about good. myself for a second. <laughs> it's been a while. I was like, let's circle back to me. You are so excited me. for sixes, aren't I you? Am. I am. Uh, kind of. Kind of. Uh, one of the things I was thinking about, Denise, when you were talking is Andy Stanley has a book called Choosing to Cheat. And the whole idea is you're going to cheat something in your life somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so again, it's that if I say yes to this, that does mean I'm also simultaneously saying no to these other things in my life. And so mm-hmm. what are the areas and what are the things that I'm going to, to cheat mm-hmm. <laughs> in my life? Because we're going to, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and so, and I think that's where it's like, how do I get to my best? Yes. And the yes that I really need to say and the, being intentional mm-hmm. with that. And I think that's incredibly important work for an Enneagram too. So it's really hard. I'm oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> so many kids, I did want to hear your response yeah. about growth. And I can't remember exactly how you worded it. I don't know if you want to re-ask it, but it was like, what, what yeah. process of yeah, practices yes, that yes. you've utilized to help you grow and yeah. become more healthy version. I mean, I can relate to the boundaries thing. It's something I still struggle with and kind of like every season of life I have to go, okay, now, now what, now what's getting the worst of me that should be getting more of me. So I can relate to that for sure. But I think the thing that came to mind first was um, the practice of solitude. I think um, the not knowing my own needs or the drive to like, maybe it's so, it's so subconscious the like, I don't know what I need. Maybe my needs will be met somewhere else. Um, being able to step away from people entirely and turn off the phone or spend time in silence and solitude alone, just me and Jesus really does change um, a ton for me to sit down and go, what are my needs? What does it look like to have all the noise dissipate? There's no one I can help right now. What does it look like to, to come before the Lord in that space for me? Um, and that helps me, one, get my needs met in a healthy place and to get to prioritize like where where is it that you are actually calling me to serve? Um, 
and, and isn't just me deciding I'm going to step into as many places as I can. So I think that's vital to me. And when I don't get it, I can get clouded really Mm -hmm. fast. So one of the things you said is you spend time with Jesus and you're actually evaluating what are my needs. Is Mm -hmm. that what you said? Mm -hmm. Is that because you're not quite certain what they are, or you're just trying to make sure you understand where you're going to get those needs met. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, kind of both. I would say like sometimes if I get to a place where I'm just like helping or going, 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 and I don't have good boundaries, I lose sight of what do I need until mm-hmm. I, until I redline is what I call it. Like until mm-hmm. I just am like not okay anymore. And I have self-destructed mm-hmm. like, and then I'm like, Oh, I'm not okay. What could have happened? Um, is that like a burnout? Yeah. Mo- okay. Uh-huh, like a burnout moment. Sure. Or like you run out of gas, like, yeah. and, and so, um, if I'm not so in those places, I'm like, I'm not aware of my needs until it's too late. And so if I'm not getting time to, to really evaluate, like, can I say no to something so that I can sit down and drink a cup of coffee alone while right. it's still hot? Or so, I can the do the care. Yeah. I the mean, self care piece. Mm-hmm. That is the first thing to go for me. Yeah. Um, and it makes me makes step sense. into an unhealthy place for sure when I neglect it but then I feel selfish when I do it I know Um, yeah I had this and as the moms that's what's really tough I mean when your kids are young it's like Mm -hmm. no it has to be mom you know mom being mom and taking care of the husband in the house it's like all those other things and then you finally I didn't learn until my kids were 16 and 20 about self-care and that was tough so Mm -hmm. yeah and just getting my needs met with the Lord going like my belonging comes from you like my value Mm -hmm. comes from you Mm -hmm. my identity comes from you and not from those other people so when that's being healthily met in him it changes the way I interact with other people. And when that gets off kilter, Mm -hmm. I get off kilter with other people. Yeah. So practically, Mm -hmm. if you are, your job is focused on serving students Mm -hmm. and being there for students. Yeah. I mean, they have a lot of needs. They do. And they have access to technology and they're going to, so practically how, how do you set up? What is, what does one of those boundaries look like? Yeah. Oh man. And mine's, and mine's, for sure kids, but also my volunteer leaders, they become kind of more of my focus in my, in my current role as leaders. And I mean, I could work from the moment my eyes pop open until they go to bed, like, so to speak, because, um, people have needs and they text. And so, um, I've gone through seasons where I've been like, you can't text me after 7 PM. Um, because I'm with my kids or my family. And that feels Mm -hmm. a little bit too rigid to me. Mm. Um, I learned just because my kids have things that happen or leaders mm-hmm. have jobs and they can't text till later or whatever. So, um, in some counseling and some executive coaching, I, I had, um, this woman tell me like, my husband is a really good barometer for if I'm healthy in my mm. boundaries or not. Mm. And he kind of gets the one who's like, Hey, you're on your, t- you're, you've yeah. been on your phone too much or like, Hey, can that wait? And there's certain questions that I ask myself, um, that I've learned to ask myself that are helpful to me. Like, am I actually the only one who can do this task Mm -hmm. right now? Do they actually need me? Mm -hmm. Or can I like point them in a different direction? Mm -hmm. Um, And those things are really helpful because the, the line in my head becomes, I'm the only one who can do this. They have to have me right now. If I don't, then they won't be okay. Right. Um, So so learning to ask those questions when I get those texts or I get those calls, what are the answers to those actually? Mm-hmm. And can I set it down or not? Mm, that's good. Is, is it a is it a sense of like I, I want to make sure I'm indispensable, or is that not? It's or is it more about meeting the need? It's more yeah. about I don't want them to not be okay. Mm-hmm. Is mm. the present thought mm-hmm. right? Like um, I don't want them to think I don't love them. Exactly. I don't want them to feel hurt by me. I don't want them yeah. to feel. Um, abandoned or mm-hmm. neglected mm-hmm. or like, mm-hmm. I don't care about them. Yeah. You oh, oh totally. Totally. That's exactly how I feel too. It's, you want to make sure that they, their needs are met. It's, it's that caring, that the compassion, the empathy that we have, it's just, that's, that's where we go. It's like, we want to make sure they are going to be okay. Mm-hmm. This sounds like, and I mean this in a good way. This sounds like the Uber Christian like type Yeah, with what you guys, but it's this, you look at Jesus and it's, it, it's easy to get the picture that Jesus did everything for mm-hmm. everybody. Mm-hmm. He healed mm-hmm. people left and right. He's, he gave amazing messages. He was a good communicator. When he, he was, was interrupted, he still yes. served, mm-hmm. you yes. know, yeah. and gave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> However, yeah. it's funny when you read through the Gospels, you, it's easy to miss them. But there's these mm-hmm. moments when it's like Jesus um, walked by people that were asking him to heal them. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. And he, I think, it, did that mean that Jesus didn't care about them? Absolutely not. We know that enough about his character. Right. All right. But it's almost like um, there are these moments when he was able to say, <clears throat> excuse me, when he was able to say, I'm, I'm going to have to say no to this and I'm going to, to something you know greater and just right. going to go feed 5,000 people miraculously yeah. or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, so there's this balance that you see in Jesus of compassion mm-hmm. and being there for people, but also... I am going to be there for you, but in a different way. Right. Yeah. Or he sneaks away, right? The disciples come looking for him. They don't know where he is because he's gone away to be with the father. Like we, we easily miss those. Those aren't the things that are necessarily always elevated in Christian cultures. Mm -hmm. They didn't know where he was. Like, where are you? Are you available? Or he's sleeping in the boat. (laughs) Do you care about us? I'm like, um, Mm, that's a good one. Those are things that I have to lean into and go like, it's okay to to disappoint people. It's Mm -hmm. okay to Mm -hmm. not like everyone doesn't know where I am all the time. I can't mm-hmm. constantly be interrupted. I can't constantly right. be available mm. because it turns. I'm not Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right? That's so. okay. You, that's really interesting because we, we, we think of Jesus and like Jesus didn't disappoint anybody. We, we, we hold, we put him at such a high pedestal. That's like everybody was happy with Jesus. And the reality is like no. everyone was disappointed. In yeah. Him. Yeah. <laughs> constantly. On both sides of the fence, whether it was faith, people of faith or not, Mm -hmm. because he wasn't living up to the expectations that they were putting Mm -hmm, on him. So even Jesus couldn't meet all those needs that every, all those expectations that people had. That seems like it's really, really important for for people to to understand. Yeah. I I would love to ask another couple of spiritual questions, but before we get there, I don't know if there are other tips or practices that you'd want to encourage type twos to consider. Yeah. Help us <laughs> please. <laughs> well, I, I was just wondering, um, when, when you guys serve other people, do you have this expectation or of like, Hey, I want to be appreciated for that. Or what, what happens, um, when you're not thanked or viewed, um, in a, in a way you're maybe hoping for. I don't, and maybe this is a blind spot for me. I just, I don't feel like I desire like verbal affirmation for Mm. the things that I do um, or the help that I give. I think it's way more subtle than that. Mm -hmm. Um, Like if someone's like, oh, thanks so much. I don't, it doesn't do much for me. I just am like, it, it is way more the belonging, the relational connection. So, yeah, what is what yeah. is the meaningful piece for you mm-hmm. in that? Yeah. yeah, I think connection and relationship um, mm. and that idea of like belonging, like we're we're together, we're okay, yeah. we're in relationship together. Yeah, I, I feel the same exact way. It's like I don't crave needing, you know, anything. I don't need the recognition. I mean... When I, when we get thank yous, it's just like, uh, you know, just, uh, no, no, mm-hmm. I just, just more about, I just want to be there. I want to mm-hmm. be able to have that relationship with somebody. I want to, you know, belong. I think that's the big word is just have that sense of belonging mm-hmm. and that, that crave for belonging. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And so uh, has there ever been a moment in your life where you have given and served and, and maybe, you know, subconsciously you're looking for that belonging, but then it didn't happen. Um, or happen the way you wanted it to happen. You know, that again, that comes back to that expectation. Um, you know, what, what was that like? What was the mo- what was the moment? Um, how, what was your response in that? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I think I've, I've had it when I was unhealthy, when you're unhe- unhealthy too, and you're just doing everything for everybody and you just want that recognition. Um, and mine was, a long, long time ago, um, in my previous marriage. And so for me, that was a, that's, I mean, I wanted, all I wanted was to get something back and I was going to do whatever I possibly could to get that love back. And I didn't, I never felt it. And it just, that's what kind of damaged my whole marriage was because of that. So I think it was much more when I was so unhealthy and I just, all I wanted to do was be loved and I didn't feel that, that reciprocation. And so that was, yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's the one thing that really stands out for me. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for being willing to share. Mm-hmm. I I can think about times where I've hit that burnout spot, like when I've I've neglected my own needs for mm-hmm. so long that I hit the burnout place, and then I I can get to a point where I um I get a little eight e maybe I get a little direct <laughs> and with my needs, like mm-hmm. I'll realize I'm like all of a sudden I have this major need because I've neglected it for so long, and then I speak it, and if it's not met by 
the people who are close to me, I can get pretty frustrated. Um, like I finally got to this place where I'm telling you what I need, which is what you always want me to do. And now you're not doing it. Um, so I think it can become like this elevated, um, overly direct, this is what I need now. And, um, I need you to meet it Mm -hmm. because I don't normally need you to meet it, but now I do. So I think it can get a little bit, um, intense mm-hmm. so to speak yeah. <laughs> well, and so i so really going off that like self-care is so critical mm-hmm. uh, for choose yeah. and y- you give so much to other people mm-hmm. and support other people in incredible ways and i mean that really is your superpower and your gift that compassion that compels you to to be there in the moments for other people where a lot of other people are not going to do that you know mm-hmm. you really help them step in and help and it you're going to do yourself a disservice and burn out and not have the longevity you're looking for if you are not willing to have the rhythms in your life to actually take a look inside and be like, Hey, how do I actually make sure I take care of me so I can be around for the long haul or be around for the people that if I'm, if I'm serving outside of my family, am I cheating my family mm-hmm. by this? And how do I make sure that I'm, I'm setting up some healthy rhythms in my own life to actually make sure that I'm take care, taking care of the people that of the people I don't, I really, really don't want to lose. Mm-hmm. Even though you might be like, I'm compelled to serve these people so I can, and I'm doing that for you, but really it's like, no, how, how do I actually take care of me and actually being able to, so I really appreciate Mackenzie, what you're saying of like having that rhythm of, I need to sit with Jesus mm-hmm. and allow him to speak over me and to fill me with like, no, you are loved. You will, you do belong. You are with me and I am with mm-hmm. you in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm the one that can feel you and speak that into you and that's truth to your life and then go out from there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's a, that's a huge, huge piece. The other thing is, um, Denise, what you said is the boundaries and, and actually knowing, um, where you stop and others begin, because if, if you insert yourself and you cross that line, um, again, we talked a little bit about this already, but then it feels more like that manipulation than just trying to orchestrate and mm. make sure you're, you're connected and helpful. Um, and so having those questions that you, that Mackenzie that you were mentioning earlier of like, Hey, um, does this person really want this? Mm-hmm. Is, you know, or, or am I just so, am I intuiting that I believe I know that this is the thing that they want? Mm-hmm. Um, is that, uh, is another way of, of saying that like w- where you end and they begin, could it be like responsibility meaning like, yeah. okay, this right now, this is my responsibility. And then that's, this is the line where that is actually their mm-hmm. responsibility. Is that another way to, to put that? I, mean, I would say yes, but I'd throw yeah. it yeah. back to you. you I think for sure. I mean, I had a, a conversation with one of my coaches recently where she was like, what in this scenario, what are you responsible for? And it took me a minute to tease out. And she was like, no, that's their responsibility. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, what am I actually responsible for? And I'm like, mm. well, I guess it's only this one thing wow. and the rest mm. of it, I have to let go. Yeah. Um, now is that freeing or is that just, Oh difficult. yeah. I mean, it's for sure freeing, but also, also difficult. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. difficult at first. And mm-hmm. then you, you realize afterwards you take that deep breath and go, Oh yeah. 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 It is. It, you feel so mm-hmm. much better. It's the mental shift from, I'm like, I really do believe I'm responsible for it. Mm-hmm. Like I really think it's my job. Like I have to do it mm-hmm. or, I, or something bad will happen mm-hmm. and that's not okay. Mm-hmm. So teasing it out is relief, mm-hmm. but it is a mental shift for me to go, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm really not actually responsible for that piece. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. yeah. It's nice. And then and then the other reality is what if something bad does happen mm-hmm. and that is not your responsibility, right? To yeah. just ensure oh, yeah. that I mean going back to Jesus when he would tell someone like it is, it's like this this is my way. Mm-hmm. This is the path. And he has to turn and walk away. And I have to think that Jesus has got to be dying inside a little bit of like I want to just make this decision for them. Yeah. But he can't. No. And bad things could happen. They could completely destroy their lives. Right. And, but Jesus is saying that the decision is going to be yours. Yeah. He wants to be helpful. You want to be helpful. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. identifying, ooh, this is no longer my responsibility. Now, one thing you, you mentioned is meeting with a coach mm-hmm. to help you. 
because you, you, you obviously have so much knowledge about yourself, mm-hmm. but when the, the coach asked you, you got the answer wrong. Yes. <laughs> yes. Cause you get so tangled, right? And it's yeah. so, mm-hmm. it feels like it's so deeply ingrained in me. Mm-hmm. Um, or I've been operating out of that place for so long that untangling, it takes work and it, it takes, mm-hmm. um, other eyes who are more skilled at that piece than I am to help me. So I get to bring things to her and go, here's this scenario. And then she goes, okay, let's name it. And naming it on the front end of what I'm responsible for and what I'm not helps so much on the back end for when those things go wrong or Mm -hmm. when things go wrong Mm -hmm. to have already named, oh, that's not my choice. Mm -hmm. I have a choice and that one's not mine. Mm -hmm. Um, So naming it on the front end helps me a ton on the back end. But yeah, coaching and counseling has been invaluable to me. And we'll continue to be, I'm yeah. sure, as I yeah. keep growing. Yeah, I, um, I, I've heard that Enneagram 2 is really like the SOS message. Somebody sends up the SOS flare. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, I'm in. I'm, I'm there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to come and help you. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was talking to a guy going through EMT training this last week. And he said, you know, one of the things I'm learning in EMT training is that when I show up and I'm seeing somebody in a car accident, this is their emergency, not my emergency. And they're going to try to make their emergency my emergency. Interesting. And and I was thinking a lot about this, even in this context with Enneagram 2s, is like when we show up and you show up to that SOS flare to help them serve, hey, this is really, this is their thing. This is their responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and where is what is my responsibility in this? Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing, like, do I, do I need to insert myself into that? So mm-hmm. anyway, I, I just thought, like, this is their emergency. Yep. Yeah, right. not my emergency. Mm-hmm. So you can keep that separate. So it's not quite as enmeshed yeah. between mm-hmm. the two mm-hmm. things. And even learning to ask, um, which this, I don't know, a few years ago, someone told me this, like you could just ask someone if they wanted your help. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you <laughs> want my help? Would, would it be helpful if blank or right. not? And I'm like, Oh, that's a really new thought that, for me. That works. Yeah. That works. Yeah, like, and, and being willing to ask that, like there's something, um, I think it, maybe it's a pride thing of going like, no, I know what you need. Mm-hmm. Like maybe you don't. Um, and to set that down and be willing to ask, like, do you want help with this? Or are you just trying to tell me what's going on in your life? Or mm-hmm. would it be helpful mm-hmm. if I brought you coffee? Maybe you just want to be alone. Yeah. Like my intuition isn't always correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and to learn to set that down. The question I usually do with um, both friends, family, and my team members are: is, do you need feedback? Do you want to vent? How do you? How can I help you? And that's that's my big thing now: is how yeah. can I help you? Because they'll come in and start venting at me. I'm like, okay, I could sit there and just go, well, you should do this, 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 and this, and mm-hmm. it'll be fine. But it's it's like, okay, what do you need from me? What are you seeking? Because I need to know how to respond. And instead of just responding and telling them they did this wrong. It's like, Oh no, they just want to vent. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll let it go. And I, and that's that line that you don't want to cross. So. And what's good about that is you're, if you're actually wanting to help them, what you do, mm-hmm. they're able to tell you, this is the most helpful thing you can do right now. Mm-hmm. Just listen. Exactly. So we were actually coming up on time pretty soon. So start thinking about some final thoughts, but I do have another question. Um, we were talking about Jesus a lot in this conversation. We, I already said that you guys are kind of like the Uber Christians out there. <laughs> But I'm curious, what is it about the gospel and the good news of Jesus that has been the most freeing or the most helpful to you? It's not a light question. <laughs> That's not. It's, no. not. And maybe it's one or two things. Maybe it's hard to identify to, to just one. Um, I think for me, it's uh, the adoption into the family mm-hmm. um, and that like belonging Mm -hmm. to him. Like, I think the scriptures that come to mind are like, you are mine. Like I've written you on the palms of my hand. Like I haven't left you orphans. Just the the places where Jesus speaks belonging and identity and like being grafted in and adoption feels um, huge to me because it's not earned. Mm -hmm. It's not because of something I've done. I, I belong and I'm his. Um, And I think those pieces or that piece of the gospel um, message is relieving and calming to me. It's awesome. Yeah, I think for me, it's more just a, a good reminder that you are loved, just fully, no matter who you are, what you've done wrong, you are so loved. And I'm messy, but 
he's God loves me. You know, it's like, that's the biggest thing for me is reminding myself, God loves me. And I may upset somebody, but that doesn't matter because God loves me and I'm not perfect. And I, I may not handle something correctly. I may hurt that person or disappoint them or not perform the way they would thought it would happen. And it's like all those doubts in your mind, it goes away when you say I'm loved. I am so loved no matter who I am. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, that's my constant reminder is I am loved. You know, it's interesting um, hearing you guys talk for the last hour, and it makes me think of Peter. And in Peter's story, you know, he was like following after Jesus, hardcore. And then when Jesus um, gets captured, you know, there's that famous uh, scenario where he denies knowing Jesus three separate times. Mm -hmm. I mean, completely abandoning Jesus, Mm -hmm. right? I don't know him. And hearing what you guys say, it's like, that might be you because know, he's hurting Jesus by mm-hmm. doing this. And yet when Jesus returns um, or he rises from the dead, he puts Peter in charge mm-hmm. of the church. Yeah. He says, you're the person I actually want to lead this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Exactly to your point that it's yeah. like, it's not about how well you've served and how mm-hmm. well you've met these needs. Right. You're enough and you're loved. Mm-hmm. Boom. Full That's stop. It. Yeah. Mitch, I'm curious um, if there's any kind of last things that you'd love for type twos to know. Mm-hmm. Um, just that, first of all, you, your guys' hearts are just so filled with love and compassion um, and care f- deeply for other people. And in the process of caring and loving deeply for others, do not forget to care and love deep, love yourself deeply mm. as well. Do not forget yourself and your needs in the process um, of what you're doing and that you are valued um, for being you. And mm. Jesus loves you right for where you are right now without having to do anything else. And, um, and I know that can be a, a hard thing to grasp, um, but he loves you right where you're at and to own that each and every day and to continue on this journey of allowing him to speak who you are into your life and, um, and to accept that uh, as like he genuinely cares for you also. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so I have. you mentioned the journey. Uh, that's what I just hear from people consistently is like, you know, I took a test and it told me four different numbers I could be actually diving into the subtypes Mm -hmm. makes a whole lot more sense. Why the test can be a little bit all over the place. doesn't mean they're wrong. It just means, well, according to your behavior and how you answer this, the way you think you could be, uh, you know, a two, one to one, you could be this eight, you could be a three, you could be all this kind of stuff. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's good to be committed to the journey and and not, you don't have to have that sense. Like I've got to figure this out. Mm -hmm. Um, It it can be years and years and years. And I'm sure we're going to just continue to grow. The, the more we're focused on it. Mm-hmm. But thank you guys. Thank you. Yeah, for being thank you. <laughs> yeah, incredible insight. And, and thanks for being experts in your story. And I think it's going to be really helpful for, for people to, to hear that. Um, I know it's one thing to say, hey, do you want to grab coffee and talk about Enneagram? Most people are like, sure. But to put a microphone <laughs> and cameras in front of your faces... I really, really appreciate it. You guys have been so helpful. It's been fun. Oh, thank you. It's been a lot of fun. See what I've done there? I feel so loved. Yes, yes. You belong here. Is this rude to say all these things that they feel deeply inside? That's great. Uh, But next time, we're going to continue the conversation with type threes and just on down the line. We're not exactly sure if we'll hit every single week and releasing it because we've got some travel coming up and everyone's summers are crazy. But we are really looking forward to those conversations. Sean Moyers is going to be on the episode, and we're going to really pick on him as a three. I think the first time he hit the stage uh, on a Sunday and talked to Enneagram, uh, we all cringed a little bit. Because he was I, like, I did, yeah. I'm a three, seven, nine, one. And we're like, okay, bud. <laughs> He's come a long way. He's, He's come, come a long, long way. Yeah. And it's safe that I can say that about him. But uh, thanks for listening and watching and make sure you tune in next time as we look at type threes.